The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Good morning, church. The book of John, chapter 15, verse 12, says, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Let me tell you a little story about a creature named Sarge. Okay? So Sarge is a goat. Okay? And there's a young man that took an interest in this little goat. He was there from the day Sarge was born. But the funny thing about Sarge is Sarge wasn't just any normal goat. He was a friend. But you're probably wondering, how does a goat become a friend? Well, let me explain it to you. This young man, at a time when school was kind of chaotic and school was different, he spent school time in this goat barn with Sarge. Now, Sarge wasn't the only goat in there. There was... 11, 12, 14, 110. Who knows how many goats was in this barn? But one day, this young man had a Zoom meeting for class. Well, he also had a responsibility to some other goats. They needed to be fed. Well, after he finished feeding those goats, he was still on his Zoom meeting. But he couldn't just pick up his computer and leave the goat barn. So he had to wait. And for the final 15 minutes, in order to keep Sarge quiet, he sat and he scratched on Sarge's head. That's all he did. Completely changed that goat. That's how a goat comes from being just a goat to being a best friend. So that young man invested 15 minutes of his life, 15 minutes of his life to that one four-legged furry creature. And it transformed that little animal from just a bouncing goat into a friend. Imagine what would happen if we invested in people the way that that young man invested in that goat. You know, sometimes we look at animals and we look at goats and we say, it's just a goat. But does God look at us like that? That's just a person. Sometimes we look at people and go, they're not worth our time. They're not worth my investment. Imagine if we spent a small sliver of our time investing in everybody we come in contact with, not just those few that we see as being important or special. But everybody, what kind of difference would we make? You know, God invests in us. God, God invests in us, and it doesn't matter what we do. From the time we are born until the time we pass, God invests in our lives. We mess up. We make mistakes. God still is investing in our lives. You know, every one of us is important in the eyes of God. And because in the eyes of God, everybody in this room, everybody that we come in contact with is important. Everybody should be important to us, too. 
a young young lady was walking down the beach. And some of you may have heard this story, but this young lady was walking down a beach, and in the far off distance she could see a man walking to her. And this man saw her, and he was wondering, what is she doing? She would reach down, she'd pick something up, and she'd fling it in the ocean. That man was wondering, what on earth is that little girl doing? So he just watched her. She'd reach down, and she'd throw something in the ocean. And they walked, and they got closer. And... uh, that man said, sweetheart, what are you doing? And she said, I'm saving starfish. And he said, what? I'm saving starfish. What do, you, what do you mean you're saving starfish? See, this starfish, it needs to be in the water. I'm saving starfish. And he said, sweetheart, look at the number of starfish that's on this beach. You can't save them all. You can't make a difference in every one of them. And she says, I don't care. I made a difference to that one. I saved that one. If we invest our time in people, we make a difference in people. And we make a difference for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for investing in our lives. We thank you for seeing us as important. And Lord, I pray that we, in turn, see everybody as important. And we demonstrate your love to everyone. Because sometimes... We are the only Bible that some people will read. And we need to make sure that we are demonstrating your love every day. Lord, I pray that you allow us to go through this week showing your love, demonstrating your love, and investing in people for your kingdom. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The American Psychological Association lists 530 listed phobias, and the list grows every day. Phobias, fears that you have. Maybe some of you are dealing with synogenesophobia. It's a fear of relatives. (laughs) Xanthophobia is a fear of the color yellow. Okay. Uh, I worked on this one. Arachibutrophobia. It's not spiders. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. (laughs) Really? You spent time on that? Um, One that I feel like probably a lot of you deal with. It's called homilophobia. It's fear of sermons. (laughs) And one that is climbing the charts right now, nomophobia, is the fear of being without your phone. should be nomophonophobia is really what it ought to be. What sent me down this rabbit hole is I heard a radio commentator a couple of weeks ago say that most people believe there's only two innate fears. And I started looking in Psychology Today in 2014 produced a study that has been repeated that they believe most babies are born with only two fears and they're probably not the ones you're thinking of. The two fears that babies are born with are a fear of falling and a fear of loud noises. See, I would have guessed starvation or abandonment or something like that. They said fear of loud noises and fear of falling. And the premise is every other fear is a learned behavior. And that's not all bad. Some fears are good. Fear is adaptive. Fear is protective. Fear uh, helps us to learn, helps us to wake up. It causes the fight-or-flight response, uh, and that's good. I mean, you you see a fear of heights uh, and uh, things that can hurt you, fear of heights, snakes, spiders, clowns. They're all evil. They're all going to get you, and you you gotta you got to have a healthy fear of those things. But courage. Courage is the thing that blockbuster movies are made out of. Buried in the book of 2 Samuel is a 
counterintuitive act of courage that we're going to spend two or three weeks on. There's a lot to unpack in here. We're calling this series Lion Chaser. Join me in 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you're joining us online or on the radio, thanks for tuning in. We're going to spend a couple of three weeks looking at courage and what it means to chase a lion. Napoleon once said there is a a distinction between types of courage. He said there are two types of courage. There's regular courage and 2 a.m. in the morning courage. And he said the rarest attribute among generals is 2 o'clock in the morning courage, meaning we're going to get up, we're going to get it done, whatever it takes. Join me in this little passage in 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 20. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kebzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab, Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once, armed with only with a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the thirty, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. So let's stop there and try to unpack some of this. There's a backstory to all of this. David's mighty men are happening there in 22, 23, 24. It's the end of David's life. And David is gathering around him people that are incredible warriors. And we're going to spend two or three weeks unpacking some of these guys in here, seeing some of their characteristics. But this is the end of David's life, and he's gathering them up as, for lack of a better term, the bodyguards. Think of them as maybe the musketeers. Or maybe the Secret Service. He is gathering people that are around him that are strong and valiant. Which caused me a lot of questions. Why are these stories here? Why are these Old Testament stories of these big heroes that, the heroes that fight and do all these great things when I don't do any of those things? Why are they here in Scripture? Are they here to entertain us? Are they here to mock us? I wonder if they aren't here to challenge us to be people of courage. Because courage is a decision. And one little guy stands out here, Benaiah. His name, or he's called a valiant warrior, which seems logical. But it also mentions another odd little fact. His dad was a guy named Jehoiada. Now, why is that a big deal? Jehoiada was, in other passages in Scripture, listed as a high priest. That means Jehoiada is a Levite, which would mean that his kid would probably be a Levite, which would mean he would probably be raised for the purpose of keeping the word. Why would he have such a massive job change in the middle of his life when you're groomed from birth to be this and then all of a sudden he is fighting these giant battles. Why, why the job change? Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Look, you may be facing some choices in your life. What job to take? What job to keep? What should we move? Should we stay? Should we get this? Should I go to this school? Should I take these classes? Maybe you're you're facing choices about your future. I want to ask you a question: Are you choosing, or is God guiding you? You hear me? Lots of people say they trust God, but obedience is the proof of whether or not we trust God. There's a lot of people that make a bunch of plans and then they pray, God bless my plans. And I wonder if God's not sitting up there going, how in the world can I bless this? I didn't have any input in this. I wasn't a part of this. You did this on your own. Are my plans my plans or am I stopping and letting God guide my steps? Because the way I live is the evidence. It gives evidence that God has first position in my heart, in my home. How I talk, how I spend my money, how I deal with people. Do I make choices for me or do I make choices that glorify God? Benaiah, Scripture tells of some of his exploits. And man, he was a man. It says he killed two champions of Moab. Now think Goliath. 
okay? The champions are going to be these big, mighty warriors. You ever Anybody watch boxing or big boxing fans? I'm not a big boxing fan, but they always have this thing called the tail of the tape where they talk about the reach, and a boxer that has a lot of strong reach has, has already got a big advantage. Well, these guys are sometimes seven to nine feet tall. So he's fighting somebody that could be two to three feet taller than he is and bigger than he is, yet he didn't kill one of them, he killed two of them. In another place, he, he beat an Egyptian. The Egyptian had a spear and Benaiah had a club, yet he won. Now, I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I would usually put my money on the guy with the pointy thing. All right. I, it seems like that would do more damage. Uh, you know, I can throw this. You can just swing that little stick at me. All right. But it says Benaiah wrenched it from him and killed him with his own sword. That one in the middle, though, a lion in a pit on a snowy day. There is a lot to unpack there. The lion, the king of beasts, everybody knows. So we started doing a little research this week. The average lion grows to 440 pounds. That's the average of uh, a lion. The average American man is 190 pounds. So you guys look at your wife and say, once again, honey, I am above average. There you go. I mean, I, just, I, some of you are going, yeah, that's pretty good, man. I'm saying that. A lion's jaws can crush a human skull. A lion's paws are strong enough to cut into some metals. And he had home field advantage. There's no question the lion had home field advantage. In a pit, he is four-footed, he is sure-footed. Now, we don't know if the pit was as big as this room or if it was just a little cistern. We don't know. We don't have any details to it. But he's probably got home field advantage. A lion can run up to 50 miles an hour in short bursts. The average man not named Usain Bolt can run eight. A lion can jump 36 feet as a broad jump. He can jump 15 feet high. The average man can jump 8 to 10 feet long. The Olympics that just happened, the Olympic record is 29 feet 4 inches on the triple jump. And we don't even know if Benaiah had any weapons when he went into that hole to fight with this lion. We don't know anything. It just says he went into a pit. He chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and beat him. Okay? But the key to the whole thing is in verse 20 he chased the lion some of your version says it went he went down into the pit now this was not one of those mom lifts a car off of the baby moments you know those you've seen the news stories that it's all adrenaline adrenaline and epinephrine are a are a hormone in your body that is increases and increases heart rate and increases breathing and increases energy and uh, expands muscles and we hear, hear these stories under great stress that adrenaline will, will soup somebody up. Sadly, I think we have a lot of adrenaline Christians. Now hear me out. They have something that activates their faith. Maybe it's a challenge. Maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe they heard the word cancer. Maybe they are dealing with chronic pain. Maybe, maybe they serve divorce papers. I got to get to church. I got to get something straightened out. Or maybe it's a, a church-going person that goes to a service or goes to a conference, and the music is incredible, and the speaking is challenging. You come out, man. I felt his presence there. I love what Marie said today. His presence is here. In a broken world, it doesn't go away. It's already here. But see, people will have those moments where, oh, that song was great or that sermon was great, and will think that's the feeling I want again. Friends, they will call that feeling faith, and that would be incorrect. Faith is not a feeling. It is a choice to trust God when life doesn't make sense. When it's not going the way I want, when people are not listening to me, they're not doing what I want done. Anybody hearing me? Do I trust God to know the end story? You see, Benaiah went into this pit with forethought. With, he knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't an accident. He knew what he was doing because he had confidence that God was guiding him. Which brings me to a very powerful question. How do I know? How do I have confidence that God is guiding me? By putting the fight where it belongs. 
When I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. The God, oh God, the battle belongs to you. We fight in prayer. We fight in surrender. We, the Lord goes before us. Will we let him fight? Now, we don't see Benaiah's prayer life. We only get three verses to explain his whole life. But we see the result. You see, he ran to the pit. He ran to where the roar was coming from. He went because God was with him. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Did you hear that? Boldly. God, I really need your help. I'm, I'm really... Is this how we approach Him in prayer? Come boldly before the throne of God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let Him fight the battles. This is not a gripe. But are we fighting our battle on our knees or with our mouth? Or with our postings? You hear me? How do I have confidence that God sends me? Most of you have probably heard of Corey Ten Boom. Wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Phenomenal book. Suzanne Landry wrote it, read it this year. I read it again. It's an incredible book. Or she's supposed to be reading it. So uh, there you go. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, I actually grew up thinking she's, she was not a Jew, but her family were Dutch, and they were rescuing Jews in World War II. If you haven't read this book, it's an incredible story of hope. They cut a hole, a hiding place in their house, and they hid these Jewish people in there to keep them alive. Somebody ratted them out. They captured her, her sister, and her dad. They went off to prison. Her dad died just days after they got in prison. And they treated her horrible. They treated her and her sister. They, they beat them. They abused them. They would make them stand inspection at 4 a.m., half naked in the snow. It was, a, it was a terrible experience. Everything was going bad, but she refused to let her get down. Her sister actually was the one who was really encouraging her, don't let us get down. Now, one particular afternoon, her sister was praying, God, we just want to study the Bible. We just want to have a Bible study here together. Please let us have Bible study. And they prayed, and they went to sleep, and they woke up, and they'd been infested with fleas, ants and fleas all in their barracks. And so you got a few Christians that are in there and going, as if it couldn't get worse, it's getting worse. The rest of the story. The guards came to the, the barracks. And started to come in the barracks, and they hear all this stuff about fleas, and the guards won't go in there. And they won't go in for two months. They wouldn't even go in there. They would make them all come out, but they, they didn't know what was going on there. For two months, they were able to have Bible study all in there. And, and her sister kept saying, we thank God for the fleas. Do we? Do we thank God for the challenges that are going on in our world? Because we got a chance to shine. Are we going to shine? Lynn Lincoln is a speaker, and she tells the story of, of hearing Corey Ten Boom at a conference later on in her life. She passed away in the 90s, in, I think, late 80s, early 90s. And she saw her at a conference, and they had her as a speaker, but they, they set her on the stage in one of those wingback chairs, you know, kind of a sweet little old lady chair, and had the mic wrapped around her, and she'd talk for a minute, and then she'd look down for a little while, and then she'd talk for a little while. And she said, when I was watching her, I thought she just had her notes and her Bible in her lap, and she was just doing that. But after a while, you figured out she was doing needlepoint or cross-stitch. If I'm calling it the wrong thing, please, I apologize. I'm an idiot. I don't know any difference, all right? Whichever one it is. And she starts talking, and she's been doing this the whole time while she's preaching, right? So, and she said, have you ever seen the back of cross-stitch? Any of y'all do it? Any of y'all do that stuff? Have you ever seen the back of it? It's always a mess. It's always it's a bunch of things stuck together. There's knots. There's colors going across. Yeah, there's no pattern. It's ugly. It's messy. And she holds it up and she says, sometimes we hit snowy patches. Sometimes there's knots and there's brokenness and there's messed up, you know, tied up things in our world. And we can't see the image. And then she turns around. Because you can only see the back, but God can see the whole picture. She was making these for her granddaughter, she said. And, and then it turns all pretty. Oh, I see a pattern now. Oh, I see this. I, friends, can we, can we hear this? We cannot see the whole picture. 
We do not know what it's going to look like. All we see is the mess that we see right now. And it's ugly, and we don't like it, and we get upset, and we get frustrated, and nobody's listening to us. I totally understand that. I totally understand that we get frustrated at the mess. I believe God is calling us to keep praying, to keep intentionally trusting that God knows what He's doing. God will work out things. Maybe it'll be my, my method. Maybe it won't. I can't see the full picture. I'm just in this part of it. Benaiah was called a valiant warrior. We love stories about guys chasing their dreams and fighting their giants and all of those great, you know, that guy started a company and that guy made it to the NFL and all this kind of stuff. We fail to realize they're usually regular people just like you and me. But you know what they don't do? They don't list all of their can'ts. They don't list all the things they can't do. Well, I started this company, but I can't do this, and can't do this, and can't do that. They don't, they don't ever seem to do that. The, the real winners in those stories don't list their inabilities. Moses did, though. Uh, bah, bah, I can't do any of that talking stuff. Gideon did it. We do it. God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too single. I'm too married. i got too many kids. I, we, got, we, all, we got excuses for everything. Maybe it's because we have our confidence in us and not in God. Though I may be found in the valley of death, it can't change what you said. Yes, this may go bad for me. You are good and everything you do is good. It may not be great for me, but it is great for His purpose. So can we see that? A couple of years ago, a lady named Lauren Daigle came out with a song that you all heard. It was on country, it was on pop, it was on Christian, it was on everything. And we all sang it. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. But do we really believe it? Do we believe what He said? Friends, our identity... Our confidence has to be in what our God is, not in what lions we can or cannot conquer. And it cannot be in how smart we are or how right we are or we carry the right version of the Bible or we go to the right building. Our confidence is in God and a God that is bigger than our lions. I'm going to go out on a limb. i got a hunch that not many of us will be in a pit with a lion on a snowy day this week. I mean, maybe we get snow. It's New Mexico. You never know. But I don't imagine that's going to happen to any of us this week. I doubt there's a lot of you laying awake at night prepping for your next Lion Tamers Challenge on ABC Thursday Night TV. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know if that's what you're doing. But we're all facing lions. Maybe a word like addiction. It may be a fear. It may be a fear of going and doing. It may be a fear of... Trying to get through it may be insecurity. It might be unforgiveness. They're lions. James chapter 4 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Anybody heard that verse? Resist the devil. Do you hear that word? That is an action word. That is a verb that requires me to do something. Resist. Resist. Stand up against. Set yourself against the enemy. And I've said this before. Sometimes my biggest enemy is my inner me. We need to have a mindset that sets ourselves against whatever is an enemy of God. And sometimes that's me. Set my mind against the enemy. Set my mind against the things that are tearing me down, that are tearing our churches and our communities apart. My fear doesn't stand a chance. When I stand in your love. Folks, if the enemy is sitting on his throne and saying, I'm just going to let them Christians chew each other up, what in the world is he doing? What, what, I'm, if I'm the enemy, I'm sitting on the throne with a big old Sprite and a bucket, a bucket of popcorn going, let them do this. Let them fight among them, amongst themselves. God is calling us to bring unity. He is calling us to speak unity, to speak love, to serve not to shout our opinions. 
But Don, you don't know what's next. You're right. I don't. Neither do you. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in His love. So what lion is roaring at you right now? What fears are roaring at you? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's dealing with divorce. Maybe it's trying to raise teenagers or kids. Maybe it's how to deal with school or masks or division. My fear can't stand when I stand in His love. I wanted to find the author of this next quote so I could give proper uh, reference to. I searched and and it sometimes has been attributed to the Dalai Lama, sometimes attributed to an ancient Chinese proverb. But I heard this this week and it really stung. The easily offended are easily manipulated. You don't have to amen it. You can sit there and go, ooh, if you want to. Friends, my goal is not to get us fired up. My, our goal as a Christian body ought to be to be intentional. If we're getting fired up about doing anything, it is to do life on purpose. Don't coast through life. Be purposeful about our reading. Be purposeful about our encouragement. Be on purpose talking more encouragement than discouragement. You hearing me? And I'm not just talking, oh, let's all be kind and hold hands. No, I mean on purpose, loving people. Do you realize Benaiah didn't casually wander into that pit? He didn't trip and fall into that pit. He went there on purpose. That was the thing that was opposing him, and he went after the lion. I wonder sometimes, do we see the lion, or do we see God? Look, I'm not trying to minimize your problems. Some of you are dealing with serious, serious problems and serious issues and, and, and great pain. I am not trying to minimize that. I'm trying to maximize our God. Get our eyes off of here and up there. Because that will change how the week goes. So many of our problems are circumstantial. They're, they're based on our surroundings. They're based on circumstances. Maybe it's because we don't see our God as bigger. Sometimes I think we try to squish God into our problems. Or worse, God's too busy running planets and, and governments and he can't handle my stuff. I've got to handle it. I, I can figure this out. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in His love. A.W. Tozer, the great theologian, wrote this, and I found this. Wow, this one has been eating at me all week. A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils, but a person with a high view of God is relieved of 10,000 temporary problems. How many of my day-to-day problems would go away if I just let them go away? <laughs> if I let, let go of them? We come in here and we start singing. And we sing that you're my cornerstone, God. But I've got to control everything. We've got to let go. And let Him be God. Have a bigger view, a higher view of God. Because He is bigger than whatever we're facing. Come alive. Let Him come alive in us. Let Him come alive through us. Let Him come alive in Portalis because when we leave this place, we're going to outlove this town. We're going to outserve this town. We're going to out encourage this town. We're going to be louder than the negative. I believe God is calling people not to chase a lion, but to be lion chasers. Not because we're afraid of the big bad world, but because my God is bigger. I asked at the beginning, why do we do these Old Testament stories? Why do we look at challenges and Old Testament stories? Maybe it's there to address our fears and to address our eyesight. Sometimes all we see is the fear. All we see is the division. Benaiah saw the lion, saw the opposition, ran to it. Because my, big, my God is bigger than the opposition. My God is bigger than division. My God is bigger than hurt. But some of you have been hurt. Some of you have struggled. Some of you are in new jobs. Some of you are trying to find new jobs. Some of you are, I don't even know which way to go. Your fear doesn't stand a chance. 
you'll surrender them all to him. I love when we get in here and we just sing abandoned and I and then I start listing off all the things I was worried about when we came in and suddenly they're not that big anybody else. It's the purpose of worship. It's the purpose of gathering together. Lay it all down. Let him be bigger. Father God, I'm praying for our hearts, for our ears, and for our eyes, when we see the opposition, when we see the lion, that we see you are bigger. Give us strength to chase and to conquer in your name the things that are tearing us apart. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.